This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Hello, everybody, and happy Easter to those who observe the holiday and, and to everyone. I hope you're safe. I hope you're warm. Uh, we have an interesting show planned today, coming up at 4.20. Uh, we've invited representatives of Phil Murphy and Jack Cittarelli, the two likely candidates for governor of New Jersey in the November general election, to join me for an extended discussion of the campaign. And I asked both campaigns to designate a surrogate to speak on their behalf. So I'll be joined by Assemblywoman Shavonda Sumter, who's representing Governor Murphy, and Assemblyman Ryan Peters, who will appear on behalf of Jack Cittarelli. And, and let me be clear, this it's not a debate, it's, it's just a discussion. Uh, but it's an important discussion that will, I, I hope, allow voters to become as informed as possible about their choices. I've, I've gotten to know Governor Murphy and Assemblyman Chitterelli. Uh, personally, I think they're good, decent men. They're honorable public servants. But Phil Murphy and Jack Chitterelli have very different ideas on how to lead New Jersey. Uh, there are distinct differences over how each one of them uh, would govern the state of New Jersey. New Jersey. And, and my job as a journalist is not to tell you who's right and who's wrong, but rather to make sure that everybody knows where the candidates stand so that you can make your own decision before you vote. And this election is 213 days away, and, and time moves quickly. Uh, before we get to that, I want to talk about one of the New Jersey Globe's big stories this week. It was about a newspaper columnist named Tom Moran. He's the editorial page editor of the Star-Ledger, and we reported an incident that involved physical contact when he was trying to interview the Hudson County prosecutor less than two years ago. Uh, now that prosecutor, Esther Suarez, is reportedly a leading candidate to become the next U.S. attorney. And Moran has become her leading critic. He's been using his newspaper column to try to torpedo her as his his right. Uh, at the time of the incident, two law enforcement officials filed reports about what they witnessed. And the New Jersey Globe also obtained a surveillance video. Uh, it showed Moran hovering around the prosecutor. He's, he's seen closely following her. Uh, and you could see his hand and his arm move in the prosecutor's direction. Uh, the fact that the journalist touched her, that's not in dispute. Moran admitted it to me. He said, and there's no question uh, that that he touched her. The question is, how forcibly did he touch her? Uh, to be clear, the New Jersey Globe story had we had all sources that were on the record. Nobody anonymous, no blind quotes. Uh, we quoted what two law enforcement officials said in their reports. We quoted Tom Moran and the prosecutor's office and Moran's boss at the ledger. Nobody was off the record. No opinion was injected into the news, and. Moran told me, and I, I want to I want to read his quote exactly. He said, after she refused to return phone calls, I saw her at an event, asked her to answer questions, and gently tapped her elbow when she didn't respond, since I couldn't tell if she heard me. 
The prosecutor's office strongly rebutted that. They said it was more than a gentle tap on the elbow. And so I'm going to read to you exactly what the prosecutor's office said. Uh, This is from a statement that, that was sent to me. And the prosecutor's spokesperson said this was not a gentle tap on the prosecutor's elbow as stated, but rather her arm was grabbed with such force she could still feel it several minutes later. Uh, this was, and this, these are their words, continuing, this was documented and corroborated at the time by law enforcement who witnessed the incident. Now, you're not going to believe the next part. This, this, everybody, it's unreal. Here's what Moran told me, and again, I'm going to read it to you exactly. He said, that is a lie. Neither officer at the scene reported that. Suarez never claimed it before. And I say now plainly, it is not true. Uh, This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. And this is the part where you just sit there, maybe just a little stunned in in amazement. It's the part about hypocrisy. Yet another example of how some journalists operate under one set of rules for themselves and another set of rules for the people they cover. Tom Moran has spent the last five years arguing that women are to be believed. He said it when there were claims against Donald Trump. Moran said it when there were allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. He said it when there were accusations against staffers on the Murphy for Governor campaign four years ago. Women are to believe. Moran said it over and over and over, right until the point where a woman stood up and said something about Tom Moran. Then, then, He called the woman a liar. One set of rules for Tom Moran and another for those that he writes about. And and let's be clear. The woman, a prosecutor, did not raise the issue to me. I obtained incident reports in a video. I asked Tom Moran for comment. And only when he made it did it... did I get a, a report, a different side of the story from the spokesperson at the prosecutor's office? The prosecutor's office said that Moran's supervisors at the Star-Ledger were told of the incident before the New Jersey Globe story came out. They said no one from the newspaper ever contacted them for information. This week, Governor Phil Murphy called out the editorial page editor of the state's largest newspaper. Murphy said... And this is his quote, putting your hands on anyone is never okay. He said, people always need to start in a place of believing women. And the governor of New Jersey called for an independent investigation of the incident. And he said that if Moran's bosses at the newspaper knew about this and they didn't do anything to look into it, that they'll have to answer for that too. Now get this. This is, this is stunning. After the governor's statement, the president of NJ Advanced Media, which owns the Star-Ledger, his name is Steve Alessi, uh, Alessi sent me a statement. And Alessi said that Moran told them immediately upon becoming aware that there was a concern. And now I'm going to say this exactly about this years old incident. And to be clear, years old means two years. So I'm glad The Star-Ledger has now officially stated the shelf life of an incident they're willing to cover. It's two years. And Alessi said that Moran has now written to the prosecutor, and I'm quoting him here. He said that Moran wrote to the prosecutor to apologize for touching her elbow. Apologized 
for touching her elbow. Not just that Tom Moran apologized, that he apologized for touching her elbow. Because Moran, I guess it seems he just, he can't ever just say I'm sorry. He can't ever just say I'm wrong. Now, no charges were filed. So you just, you just say you're sorry, right? I mean, but, but, but this is the part that really gets me. This is the part that, that I think is, is sort of unreal. The ledger said essentially that in just two days they completed their investigation. Like magic, Moran was cleared. And Moran's boss said, we've reviewed the video, what Tom told us about the day, and the editorial board's past criticisms of prosecutor Suarez. Uh, we're confident Tom has acted responsibly and professionally. And for those of you who followed New Jersey politics, uh, this was just a poor man's master report. That, that means there wasn't a whole lot of in- independence to the investigation. And, and I have to wonder now if the Star-Ledger really understands what the meaning of the word investigation is. Because according to what they said, their investigation amounted to watching a 60-second surveillance video and hearing Tom Moran's side of the story. And uh, we all know how credible it is when someone investigates themselves. That's, that's why there was a huge outcry when Andrew Cuomo suggested just that. It's, it's why Chris Christie was bashed by the media, by the Star-Ledger, for running his own investigation into Bridgegate. And, and that is something that I was involved in. Uh, it worries me that this is what the Star-Ledger, the newspaper I grew up admiring, uh, depending upon, hasn't quite captured the essence of an investigation. And, and it frightens me a little uh, that the next time their journalist, and they still have some very good ones there, the next time I read about a Star-Ledger investigation, I'll wonder whether it was as rushed or it, and it is incomplete as this one was. And I mean... You know, there's there's one thing here. We don't we don't live in Walter Cronkite's America anymore. All of us in journalism, I think we need to do a better job of building the trust of our readers. And and there's been nothing said about this. Tom Moran hasn't r- talked about the incident. The wagon circlers at all the newspapers didn't report it. That shouldn't shock you. And 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 so what happens next? I mean, you know, first of all, I'm expecting Moran to write uh, one of his columns attacking those who have attacked him. I'll probably be one of the targets. There's there's plenty of fodder for him out there. I've made my share of mistakes, some some big mistakes. So he's he's got enough material, but that's what bullies do. They attack others instead of just owning up to uh, what they've done and accepting their own responsibility. To to be clear, I'm I'm not afraid of Tom Moran. I've, I've dealt with bigger bullies than him. Uh, this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You are not going to want to miss what's coming up next, a discussion on the race for governor of New Jersey with representatives of the two candidates, uh, Democratic Governor Phil Murphy and Republican Jack Chitterelli. Uh, I'll be joined by Siobhan DeSumter and Ryan Peters, both legislators. We're going to talk about the issues and the differences between the two candidates. So please don't go away. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I always value books and films and good TV. But now, during a pandemic, I appreciate them. I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's on not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, 
concise reviews of hot new books, actors describing classic scenes. It's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back, everybody. It's David Wildstein. The race for governor of New Jersey is expected to feature a matchup between the Democratic incumbent Phil Murphy and Republican Jack Chitterelli. Uh, as I said earlier, two decent men who have very different views on how New Jersey should be led. So this week I reached out to both campaigns and I asked them if, if a representative for each could join me for a civil discussion on the issues facing the state. So I'm joined by, by two members of the state assembly. Uh, Assemblywoman Siobhan DeSumter, how are you? Welcome. Great, David. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And Assemblyman Peters, you're there too? I am here, David. Thank Good. you also for having me as well. Great. And Assemblyman Peters is representing uh, Mr. Chitterelli, so, so thank you for joining me. Let me start with this, and I'll, I'll start with the Assemblywoman. Uh, is this ele- people say this election is a referendum on how Governor Murphy has performed in his first uh, term in office, specifically the handling of the COVID pandemic. Is, do you think that's accurate? I do. I, I think um, this this election uh, will be a testament to um, the leadership that was shown uh, during a historic, unprecedented pandemic in our lifetime. Uh, the need for uh, tough decisions at a very real time uh, when people were uh, losing lives and responding and public workers uh, were working at a high speed capacity. It also showed some of the gaps. Uh, I am the newly um, elected chair of the Legislative Black Caucus, and it showed a disproportionate impact on black and brown communities with the life of loss of life in this pandemic. Uh, so we've been working double time in concert with Governor Murphy, Speaker uh, Craig Coughlin, and Senate President Sweeney to make sure that the 13 percent of New Jerseyans who are African-American at least have their voices heard at the table when we're talking about resources for uh, life-saving measures. And uh, Assemblyman, are you comfortable with the same thing, that this this election ought to be a referendum on on Phil Murphy and, and, and what what your candidate, Jack Chitterelli, would, would prefer to do going forward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the hope. If we could, if you could talk about this election in terms of, you know, Murphy's record and his failed policies of sending 8,000 seniors and veterans to their death and forcing them into nursing homes, choosing to vaccinate prisoners before teachers even, keeping our children out of school, forcing them into a remote environment where they're just not benefiting due to those failed policies. And destroying our small businesses. I mean, a third of the small businesses will never come back. And this is, if we could make this election about Wall Street and Main Street, where Governor Murphy is a Goldman Sachs millionaire from Wall Street, completely out of touch with Main Street. And just really the, you talk about unemployment, the disproportionate effect. I mean, my office has taken calls from people who nine, 10 months of unemployment that has not been paid to them. And the governor's response is just, hey, Sit back and wait. It'll come, uh, which is easy for him to say as a millionaire with homes throughout the world. But the middle class people who are struggling to make ends meet, there's just really a hollow response from the governor. So if we can if it's a referendum on his failed policies, 
I think Governor Cittarelli wins in a landslide. So, so let me stick with you, Assemblyman uh, Peters. You, we, you talked about the nursing homes. You talked about veterans' homes, and, and these were these were tragic situations. But but is it is it fair to blame one governor for that? Yeah, I mean, certainly tragic. But yes, I mean, I think that it rests with him. Look, on March thirty first, Governor Murphy ordered that, and I'm quoting this. Due to the need to expand hospital capacity, end quote, he's forcing seniors and and veterans back in nursing homes and veteran homes and saying in in, in that order, it says, and I'm quoting again, facilities are prohibited from requiring seniors and veterans to be tested for COVID before readmission back into the home. He all but he would not let them test for COVID. He sent that back in because there was a need to focus on hospitals. Meanwhile, the USNS Comfort, which again, it's a Navy ship. I have, as a Navy guy, I'm very proud of that. It sat in the Hudson. It's a thousand hospital bed ship. And in, in a month, they treated 183 people. At, at times, there were 31 people in a thousand beds. Yet we cleared out hospitals of veterans and seniors and forced them back into nursing homes, forcing them, making them be enrited back in he did not allow them any help, any procedure. So, oh, yeah, try to separate the infected from the uninfected, which would not work. It, it was an absolutely failed policy caused by him, directly caused by his actions and his directive. I don't know how you can say it's not at his feet. So, Assemblywoman Sumter, let me go back to you on that same issue, of the nursing homes, the veterans homes. I mean, the, the governor fired two of the people that were running those nursing homes. Uh, uh, is this a fair criticism? Uh of the governor as the campaign moves forward? So um, let me just uh, take take a couple steps back. Um, and Assemblyman Peters, um, you know, just uh, greetings and salutations, because I didn't do that when we started. Uh, but to you as well, I am a I mean, I cut you off. But <laughs> Thank I, you. You are my, my wonderful chairman of the committee and a wonderful person. I should have yes. said that at the outset as well. So. My salutations to you. Sorry to cut you off. Yes, absolutely. So we just had to step back a little bit uh, for some courtesies here. Um, But uh, I want to share um, a a personal testament, and and I agree with the assemblyman, and it was uh, devastating to families who lost uh, loved ones, our very vulnerable senior population uh, during this pandemic. And at the height of the pandemic, I worked in the healthcare system at the height of the pandemic. Hospitals, Doctors, nurses, emergency rooms, we're accustomed to saving people. We did not know what we were faced with when COVID-19 hit. The CDC was giving mixed messages on guidelines. We had a president in the White House who was saying, you know, no masks, no social distancing, no testing. We didn't know what we were faced with. So truly, as a healthcare professional, knowing the men and women, the heroes, that we identified them as who showed up for work every day to take care of patients to the best of their ability with compassion. We were doing the best we can with the hand that we were dealt. And we did not know all of the intricacies of this smart, smart, smart disease of the coronavirus that we were faced with. New Jersey had some of the highest numbers. Our hospital had not been compressed with over 8,000 people in bed needing ventilators and urgent care in our ICUs, nurses working around the clock trying to figure out how we would break them. So, again, 
our governor was going to the federal government at that time to President Trump to appeal to President Trump for CARES money, for resources for New Jersey so that we could help New Jerseyans. We knew that the health of New Jersey was at stake. We knew that we were in critical mass. And I was right there on the front lines, witnessed it. Nurses in tears, doctors in tears. In fact, we lost some doctors. One of our doctors in the city of Patterson, fortunately, he had caught COVID and he recuperated. Thank God. We saw him on the ventilator. We cheered when they left the facilities. So this was nothing that was political with this pandemic. The pandemic didn't care what party you belong to. Our workers in the healthcare system didn't care. They didn't ask for a political affiliation card. They were looking to take care of people the best way they knew how. We were doing our best to separate patients, to get them back to a safe place where nursing homes, assisted living facilities, long-term care facilities were their actual home addresses trying to decompress so we could take care of the next critical patient. That was the order. There was no science to us knowing what was going to happen on the other end. So I just wanted to make that appeal that we recognize the hard work that went into it and the people who cared for those people who were most in need. So I want to talk about some other differences between the two. Go ahead. I'm sorry. saying that there wasn't, that there wasn't, that this wasn't hardship. There's, we're saying, and it wasn't going back to President Trump and saying we need this. This was Governor Murphy's directive. It's open public source. You can read his letter, March 31st, 2020. He said... You will not test these people if we're getting back in the homes. Sure, we'd want them back in their veteran homes and their nursing homes. But what we said was you are prohibited from testing them, thereby bringing the virus in. Now, again, if you as a naval officer, if you're if you're in charge of a ship and the ship runs aground, you don't get to say all the bad things that happen because of this. You are directly responsible and you lose your command. So this is going to your feet because you made a decision that had a failed policy and resulted in eight thousand deaths of New Jersey seniors and veterans. And it was hard. And this this will be an issue. And I want to ask about another issue. I'll start with uh, Assemblywoman Sumter. So so there's a difference of opinions between Phil Murphy and Jack Chitarelli on women's health issues, reproductive rights. Uh, And uh, uh, specifically, Governor Murphy had had rolled back. Uh, or had brought back uh, funding for Planned Parenthood for women's health uh, services that, that had been taken out by the previous administration. Mr. Cittarelli wants to, to – they don't agree on the issue, and I, w- I wanted to ask you about that, and then we'll go to Ms. Assemblyman Peters about that. Sure, and thank you for that question, uh, David, as we uh, pivot a little bit. Um, again, you know, all things related, a healthy New Jersey leads to a healthy economy. So you're talking about women's reproductive health being rolled back, not funding Planned Parenthood, the increase in STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, to communities, to women of color that are preventable, escalated during that period, escalated. At the same time, we lost federal matching dollars, so we left money on the table. Hey, my training from my parents was you don't leave money on the table. You make sure that you spend the resources wisely that are given to you. Additionally, we are number 47 in the country for maternal health and the loss of life for black mothers during a time that should be a beautiful time of the birthing process. So there were consequences of those actions, not funding to the tune of $5 million, which is a drop in the bucket for reproductive health and for services. So taking a, a hit 
on the health of New Jersey women uh, was unconscionable. And we argued and debated that fact uh, when Governor Christie was in office as Democrat. So Governor Murphy coming in, one of the early acts that he did was to restore funding and expand access to our Affordable Care Act and system because we had over 800,000 people enrolled in our, our um, health care expansion uh, so system that was part of the the federal government, in addition to setting up our own exchange so we didn't have the fear of losing those health uh, benefits or the opportunity to seek health care with no plan because of the cuts and the lack of funding and support from a Chris Christie administration. That Jack just, I just don't understand why he wants to roll back the clock. Health care is a right and well, let not me, a uh, desire. Let me ask Assemblyman Peters, uh, we're going to go to a break in a second and then you'll both be back with me, but let me, let me ask Assemblyman Peters to talk about, about that issue and, and where, uh, Mr. Cittarelli stands. Sure. This is the standard false equivocation that happens every cycle when Democrats say, if you're not for Planned Parenthood, you're against women's health funding. Planned Parenthood is, is, you know, puts money in legislators' pockets to go out there and say, if you're not going to give us money, we're going to take it back. And anyone who doesn't, we're going to go out this narrative that you're against women's health care. Governor Jack Cittarelli is for women's health care for sure. Absolutely. He just does not believe that tax dollars should be used for abortions or agencies that advocate for abortions. If you're going to, if you are going to give money to women's health care, Give it to nonprofits that help women throughout. There's a wonderful organization called Lighthouse Pregnancy Resources Center in Bergen County that does not advocate for abortions, does not provide abortions. It's women health care. They do STDs. They do counseling. They do everything for women's health care. But if you say you're not for Planned Parenthood, thereby everyone just throws their hands up in the air and says, therefore, you're not for women's health care. Look, if you're going to be for women's health care, you have to be for women overall. And if you want to make a let's put Murphy's record of helping women on it. And I'll, again, I'll quote the liberal writer of Paul Moran, who is saying that Governor Murphy is standing by Commissioner Hicks and not letting him go. Yeah. Who is directly responsible for the abuses at, at Edwin Mahan right, so we're gonna, prisoner facility where women are getting abused? And, and assembly, we're going to get back to that. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back. I'm speaking with Assemblywoman Shavonda Sumter of Patterson and Assemblyman Ryan Peterson of Hainesport uh, about the race for governor. This is David Wildstein, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Old school, classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Welcome back, everybody. And I am 
Talking about the race for governor of New Jersey uh, with Assemblywoman Shavonda Sumter. She's a supporter of the incumbent Phil Murphy and Assemblyman Ryan Peters, who supports the Republican candidate Jack Chitterelli. Uh, welcome back, everybody. And uh, let me let me start. Assemblywoman, you know, I want to I want to go through a bunch of the, the issues where I, I think there's a disagreement between the two candidates. So let me let me start with the minimum wage. Uh, you you uh, you voted for this. The, the governor supported a a gradual hike to a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. Uh, uh, that's something that that Mr. Chitterelli would like to uh, uh, put a halt to. Uh, tell me tell me why that's important. Why should that be an issue in this campaign? Uh, thank you for that, David. Um, uh, again, I support Governor Murphy uh, and his fight for a $15 minimum wage, which is in New Jersey still not a livable wage. Uh, we're talking about folks who are working uh, at a bare minimum, trying to make ends meet, trying to afford housing, which we know, again, in this pandemic, these disparities and the wealth gap were laid bare. The average savings for a black person in New Jersey is $179 compared to a white person having over $100,000 in savings. There is a stark disparity. So we need to try to right this ship uh, instead of seeing this gross, 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 unequal footing in the economic status of New Jerseyans. So, again, having a healthy economy, making sure that we're supporting uh, small businesses, women-owned businesses, minority-owned businesses, which the governor has made a, a conscious effort to support microloan programs and partner with them to get New Jersey's economy back on track. So, for me, it is it was an easy decision. We cannot go backwards. And Jack is talking about a time during when he was in office with me serving together nice guy but jack's talking about a time where we were not making it as a people in new jersey we were in a recession we were in a recession longer than most other states governor murphy came in and we're actually seeing a lift but a lot of work to do and going backwards is just not a part of that recipe to securing that so assemblyman peters what do you, what do you think of that should should uh, is is talking about slowing the increase of the minimum wage uh, the the right way to get New Jersey's economy back on track? I, I don't know how we can have a minimum wage discussion with it when a third of our small businesses are gone forever. Who's going to pay this minimum wage when we have no businesses here? We have the highest property tax in the country driving businesses out. The corporate tax rate is climbing. They're leaving. No one's going to be here in New Jersey to pay it. Jack Titarelli is from Main Street. He's tar- he started two small businesses. He knows what it's like to meet payroll. What we should be doing is allowing small business allowed to thrive, allowed to start, heck, allowed to open and function so they can bring workers back and pay them anything. Right now, we have crushed our own economy here. We've shut things down. We've not allowed to keep operate, and it's near impossible to start a small business here in New Jersey. You can make the minimum wage whatever you want, but if there are no businesses to pay it, it's ineffectual and it's not the right conversation to have right now for the many New Jerseyans out of work because of these failed policies that we've enacted during this time. So let me let's let's talk while, while I have you, Assemblyman Peters. Let's start with you on on the uh, the issue involving the Edna Man Correctional Facility. There have been there have been horrific reports of of beatings and sexual assaults of, of women inmates. Uh, uh, 
how could Jack Cittarelli fix that issue? What what needs to be done? Well, Jack Cittarelli is the CEO. He's going to do something about it. I think that's the first step. Look, these first surfaced, surfaced two years ago. The most the one we're talking about now is the January incident that's most recent. is the most horrific. And the person directly responsible in charge of these prisons is Commissioner Hicks. He is still in his position today, and Governor Murphy is silent on it. My running mate and future Senator Gene Stanfield has called for his impeachment multiple times, and Democratic legislatures has, has, legislators have signed on. What we haven't had is any action, any action at all from Governor Murphy. And I was saying before, it's, the, the liberal writer Paul Moran is even saying it's baffling that Governor Murphy is still sticking by him, ordering yet another investigation to confirm what we already know, that this facility and abuse of women in this correctional facility has gone on, continues to go on, and this lack of accountability that is going throughout both uh, Governor Murphy failing to take accountability for any of his failed policies, his, gov- you know, his commissioner not taking on anything. I mean, even... <laughs> Senator Weinberg, a Democratic senator, a very wonderful woman, said one of two things happened. Either the governor knew about this and didn't do anything until it became public, or the governor didn't know, which is just as bad. That's a a Democratic senator talking about a Democratic governor. So let me ask ask Assemblywoman Sumter to come in on that, on on Edna Mann. uh, Do do you think it's being handled appropriately uh, right now? So, so David, um, I want to I want to thank you for this. And, and to Assemblyman Peter's point, uh, none, none of us, none of us um, are are. I think all of us, I should say, are alarmed at the reports and the the tragedy of being abused while being incarcerated and held in state custody. Um, the Legislative Black Caucus has weighed in heavily on this. In fact, we call for the resignation of uh, Hicks uh, for. Um, for this, this egregious, these egregious reports. Um, I'm also talking to women uh, who were incarcerated there and heard their stories, uh, and it, it will really, it breaks your heart, and, it's, and it's, it should not happen. Uh, but what I can tell you is we do have an attorney general who's investigating it, and David, you know this about me. I do believe in due process. I do believe in making sure that if we're going to uh, file charges and convict, we want them to stick. And too often, uh, the court's role gets lost in this process. Due process gets lost in this process. But we all, we want to make sure. We always want to make sure. At least uh, for me, I, I'm you know, I'm, I'm encouraged that Governor Murphy call for an independent report and investigation uh, that we have some ideas on how we fix this, because this is not a one and done. It's a culture that needs to be changed in the prison systems. In fact, I've championed legislation along with the Legislative Black Caucus, as well as our senators and uh, Ryan Peterson, Peters mentioned, uh, Senator Loretta Weinberg, uh, that we have to have reforms in these spaces that make sense. And we also have to monitor them. Our job as legislators is to hold the administration and the commissioners accountable. And that's exactly what we've been doing through this process and monitoring the situation. It's just a egregious situation right now. So let me, let me, let me shift. I'm a, I'm a lawyer uh, as well and go I ahead. Very quickly, very quickly. I'm sorry. Cause it's not a, remember assemblyman, it's not a debate, right? We're just having a discussion. So. 
But there already been, has been a federal investigation oh. on the issue that concluded that sexual abuse of women prisoner by Edna correction officers and staff is severe and prevalent throughout the prison. There's already been an investigation. We're doing another investigation to confirm a federal investigation. There is no accountability, and that's what Jack Chiarelli will do, is hold his people accountable to the law and due process. So this will, it sounds like this will certainly be a, an issue in the coming campaign. Let me talk about something I think is there, where there's another contrast between the two candidates. And I'll, 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 I'll start with Assemblywoman Sumter, if it's okay, which is on gun safety. Uh, Assemblywoman, do you think... Do you think New Jersey is a gun safety state or do you believe it is a a state where uh, where Governor Murphy's policies will cost him votes? So for, for New Jersey, uh, and again, I have the honor of being in the legislature for over 10 years and we have some of the toughest gun safety rules. Um, Governor Murphy has come in and actually has supported some additional measures uh, for um, screenings uh, for mental health. My background is 20 years in mental health and making sure um, that there is a, a duty to warn um, in place, that there is a safe space for any clinicians to report. This was legislation by the legislature, so if they know someone has a gun and they should not have a gun uh, by way of having a mental illness that is active psychosis, that they can report uh, to an authority to remove uh, that gun that person can then, when they feel they're stable, go to the police station or the courts to uh, appeal to have their weapon retrieved, reducing the magazine clips. We know that with all of the mass shootings, um, it is uh, devastating uh, to communities and that we put some rules in place to reduce the clips. So, again, common sense, very pragmatic uh, steps that we can take. Uh, and we've taken them as a state for gun safety rules, uh, conceal and carry, making sure that, again, we're monitoring um, the safety of our state. Having an AK-47 is not recreational. Uh, so, again, we just want to be practical uh, and also be an example for the rest of the country in this space to keep people safe from mass shootings, and it's a hard, hard, hard job. So I am pleased with Governor Murphy's record as well as the Democratic record in this space. So let me let me ask Assemblyman Peters about gun safety and, and, and its role in the 2021 gubernatorial campaign. I, I just don't know how New Jersey can get any more draconian gun laws. I mean, we, uh, Assemblyman Sumter said it, we have the, the most, you know, tightly constricted gun laws in New Jersey. We make criminals out of normal Americans who want to carry their gun. Look, I'm a Navy SEAL for 17 years. I am not allowed to carry concealed in New Jersey. I don't know why. I don't know. But that's our laws here. So when you talk about gun safety in New Jersey, the, the only way you can say gun safety is to take them all away. There's just no other. There's no other rule. We've moved magazines down arbitrarily certain numbers. We've, we've done everything we possibly can to make criminals out of legal gun owners, and that has been the policy of New Jersey for probably over the last 20 years. We made them even more strict in just the last four years while I was there. Um, I, I don't know how, how we could get any worse than we have the toughest gun laws in the state of New Jersey, um, and, and I think uh, legal gun owners are, uh, are upset about that. 
Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, for, uh, unfortunately, this this time just rolls by so quickly. I had a, I had like 20 issues that I wanted to talk to both of you about. We, we barely got through them. But but the good news is it's a long campaign, right? It goes quickly. But but yeah, yeah. So we'll but but we will uh, hopefully 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 this is the way uh, things will be done in the future is, is you have two people that that feel differently on issues and will let the voters hear from both sides and make their own decisions. So Assemblywoman Shavonda Sumter, Assemblyman Ryan Peters, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I appreciate it. And, and let's Shavonda, always a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Likewise. Be safe, everyone. Thank you. And this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You've been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. We'll be right back to talk about more issues uh, involving New Jersey uh, as the center of the American political universe. I always value books and films and good TV. But now, during a pandemic, I appreciate them. I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, Actors describing classic scenes. It's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back, everybody. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And I want to talk about deadlines because deadlines are important because in politics, there is no making up for a lost time. Uh, election day is election day. There's there's no extensions. So each day it, it means something. And and when an election is close and, and we've seen a, just a few hundred votes in Florida pick a president. And every year we see local races that end in a margin that you can count on one hand. Uh, when an election's close, candidates and campaign workers, they need to leave no stern unturned. So I start every week usually with the calendar. Now I'm, I'm ending with it because timetables are important. We are two days from the deadline to file petitions to get on the ballot for the June Democratic and Republican primary elections. Uh, Monday at 4 p.m., that's it. That's the last moment. Otherwise, it's 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 over and you cannot run. And, and to be clear, there's... There's probably just a, f- a few states, if any, where actually getting on the ballot is easier than it is in New Jersey. Uh, but but still, there are some rules that have to be followed. Petitions need to have a certain number of signatures. They need to be legal, qualified voters. They have to be properly witnessed. There's there's a few technicalities that have to be adhered to. And, and I've seen plenty of campaigns over the year. Uh, that wait for the last minute to get the signatures they need. Uh, it's not unusual for candidates to run around on filing day at the last minute trying to meet the number of s- signers they need and rush down uh, to Trenton or rush up to Trenton if they're in South Jersey to get them in by 4 o'clock. Uh, two things almost always happen. Uh, candidates are 
forced to drop out of the race just because they waited until the last minute and couldn't get on the ballot. Uh, there's candidates who get tossed off, off the ballot because they didn't follow the rules or they didn't understand the rules. And, and some who who try to get on the ballot without leaving themselves a margin of error to withstand legal challenges to their petitions. Sometimes there's candidates who strategically seek to knock their opponent off the ballot. Uh, and the thought there's easy. You can't lose if you're unopposed. But there's candidates who also don't mind a challenge because, I don't know, A, because they, they think they might look insecure, or B, because they... They want to, they don't want to incur the expenses of a, of a legal fight. Uh, C, maybe they don't want to expose deficiencies in their own petitions and, and they don't want to tempt fate. And, and there's some candidates who just get it. They, uh, they're not threatened by an opponent. They know they're going to win. And in most of these cases, the, the incumbents or the candidates on the line, which is an entirely different conversation, they know they're going to win. So they just sit back and they allow democracy to take its course, even if that means that they have to expend just a little bit more effort. So we'll be watching very closely to see what happens on Monday at 4 o'clock. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, one of our readers reached out this week, uh, knowing that New Jersey is the center of the global political universe, and, and asked if there was any connection between the Block Suez Canal and Jersey politics. And, and I'm always up for a challenge, so here's what I came up with. It's a story about a New Jersey senator who went to prison for being a pirate. And it happened during the energy shortages in the 1970s. There was a, a state senator from Union County, Jerome Epstein. He was, he was just 34 years old when he was elected. He was a rising star. And he came from a family that owned fuel oil companies and gas stations. So Senator Epstein rented a 115-foot barge. It was called the Lusitania. And he recruited a crew. And he stole about 12 million gallons of oil during a, a, a systematic series of thefts that began in, in 1968. And what he did uh, was to rig the gauges on the barge so he could, for example, take 4,000 gallons of oil and have it look like he only took 2,000. So Senator Epstein was sentenced to nine years in prison. Jury convicted him of pirating about $4 million of oil from Exxon tanks on the Arthur Kill in Linden. So, you know, I, I say this often, you got to love Jersey. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC, and there were some new developments this week in a state corruption investigation where Matt O'Donnell, he was a prominent tax appeals attorney. He's the cooperating witness for the state attorney general. Uh, a superior court judge has now sealed a list of potential targets in that probe. That is, has so far netted prosecutors, I, I think, about the smallest fish that they can get. You usually talk about uh, getting a cooperating witness who can go up the ladder and get them the big fish. These are, these are minnows at best. But here's what's interesting. It came out in court this week that there's essentially two lists. One is the people Matt O'Donnell offered to give up. And the second was the people the Attorney General of New Jersey asked him if he could possibly help with. Help with. Uh, 
I think that means people he wanted O'Donnell to offer something to while wearing a wire, but I don't really know. The records have been sealed. That's generally how it works. And and, and there's, there's some more. Deputy Attorney General acknowledged in court that there are ongoing investigations, and he said there was at least one probe that involved the FBI. Meanwhile, Matt O'Donnell entered into a plea agreement in June of 2018. So we're coming up on that third anniversary. That remains sealed. He still hasn't been formally charged with anything. So we don't know what he pled to. But here's something we learned last week, that since he signed his plea agreement, since he agreed to cooperate with the attorney general, he's made about $4.6 million billing New Jersey taxpayers. This is municipalities and counties for tax appeal work. Now, that's according to a defense attorney, what he said in court. He's, he's going to have to give those profits back. That supposedly, allegedly, is in the plea agreement. But the attorney general hasn't kept a tally of how much that is. So we are, we are all waiting for the next shoe to drop in that case. Uh, the other thing that we're watching is Edison. We keep watching Edison. It's, it's where there was a, uh, a racist mailer in 2017, uh, the promise to make Edison great again by alleging that Chinese and Indians were taking over the town. Edison has now hired a high-level prosecutor, uh, Vaughn McCoy, former assistant U.S. attorney, former director of the state division of justice. He's going to guide the township of Edison through this investigation to make sure that they comply fully with subpoenas that have been issued. So this is going to be one to watch. And we talk about filing day. Uh, One of the people that's implicated only allegedly, but implicated into this whole whole deal is uh, the Edison Democratic Municipal Chair. His name is Mahesh Bajia, and he is running for mayor of Edison. So uh, so New Jersey just just always, always exciting. And, and that brings us to a close of this week's New Jersey uh, Globe Power Hour. Uh, thank you for listening. Happy Easter to all of those who are observing the holiday. Please stay safe. Special thanks, as always, to Kevin Sanders and to the Murphy and Chitterelli campaigns for taking part in today's discussion. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. I'll be back next week. You've been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I still love rock and roll. Old school, classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. RockandRollGlobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on RockandRollGlobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. I could hardly wait. WABC. Talk radio for New York and all of America. 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays and WABC.